Hello, and welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. This is Sarah. Join us for bookish episodes and a monthly book club pick. This is Ashley. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod, or go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. This is Jen. Check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store, our Patreon page, and our newsletter. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to support us. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 141. Today is our book club episode for our September book club pick. We are going to be talking about Chanel Miller's Know My Name. Before we get started, we wanted to remind you that we are constantly putting stuff out on Patreon and our Patreon material is really growing and growing and we have some great extra episodes that we talk about book to movie adaptations. We do unabridged off topic and there's just lots there. So definitely go take a look at that on www.patreon.com backslash under unabridged pod, (laughs) unabridged pod. Sorry. I'm getting nods from Ashley and Jen. (laughs) Uh, So go ahead and look at that. And now before we start our discussion on know my name, we are going to do our bookish check-in. Jen, what are you reading? I am almost done with Natasha Trethewey's Memorial Drive. Trethewey is a poet whose work, I I don't read tons of poetry, but the poetry of hers I've read is gorgeous. And I got to hear her speak at the National Book Festival. She read some of her poetry aloud and she talked about this memoir that she was writing about her mother's murder. And so that is, that's the book I'm reading now. It just came out. It is gorgeous. It is really powerful. It is really heart-wrenching. So I'm not sure it was the best choice for this time, but I really wanted to read it because I admire her so much. Um, her mother, so Trethaway writes a lot about growing up with her mother and father. She is biracial. Her father is from Canada and is white. And her mother was from... Alabama and it's black. And so she talks a lot about growing up and the experiences she had when she was young. And then her parents got divorced and her mother remarried and it's her stepfather who murdered her mother. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's very much about remembering her mom and trying to sort of recapture these memories of her. And then it accounts for what happened to her. So yeah, it, it is, it's amazing, but wow, it's, very, very sad. So Jen, is that one written in prose or poetry? It's prose. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't I know that she's stuff. done that before. I, I have not researched her exhaustively, but my sense is that this is one of the first prose pieces she's published. So That's it's awesome. really beautiful. Yeah. I think you would like it, but man, you have to be in the right headspace for it because it is, well, yeah, the topic alone tells you that it's going to be really sad. Yeah. So anyway, so that's Natasha Trethaway's Memorial Drive. Sounds great. But also very, I don't think it's the right book for me at this moment. Yeah. yeah. Ashley, what are you reading? So on the other end of the spectrum, this is a, com- a romantic comedy and, or I guess just romance. So this one I stumbled upon kind of by accident. I was procrastinating on a lot of other things and started an audiobook and this is Alexis Hall's boyfriend material. This is one of the Libro FM books that was made available through their ALC program, which I love. And I started this the other night and it was just totally swept away. It's a really sweet story of Luke is the main character and he is just stumbling. You know, he's having trouble finding his way and he partially because his family, his parents are both sort of wash up rock stars and they were separated when he was young. But because of this very loose connection to fame, the paparazzi is always watching him. So even though I think that one thing that is captured right away in the book is this idea that it's easy to be negatively impacted by a little bit of fame instead of having any positive impacts. And so you definitely see this happening for Luke that he doesn't have any great accolades happening for him because of this connection. But he does have to watch what he's doing all the time and every mistake that he makes is put on display and he is struggling with relationships. And so early on in the book, there's an incident with the paparazzi that 
prompts him to need to kind of clean up his public image. And because of that, his friends are trying to help him because he doesn't want to lose his job is basically what's at stake. And so his friends are trying to help him and they decide that he needs to find somebody to be essentially a fake boyfriend for him so that he can look more stable. And so through his friends, he gets to, he, he, they recommend someone who he already knows and has some pretty negative feelings toward, but that person, Oliver goes into this agreement with him. And so I love it. I think that the, I think it shows a lot about the vulnerability of people and how hard it is to find your way both for yourself and also in a relationship and how sometimes some vulnerability is necessary in order to get to, to, in order to connect to other people, but just how hard that can be. And so Luke is a really sweet character and Oliver is in a lot of ways his polar opposite. And yet they are finding their way through this difficult time. And so I am absolutely loving it. I'm not very far in yet, but I already am entranced and it has been a really nice change from a lot of what I've read lately. And so again, that's Alexis Hall's boyfriend material. Oh, that sounds so good. I'm sad. I didn't get that when I, when we got the ALCs from Libra FM and now I'm regretting that. I didn't either, but it's I was trying not to be greedy. List. I was I trying not to be greedy with that. I, I've, yeah, I've struggled with that too. And I'm glad that I did that one because it wasn't, I wasn't sure if I was going to listen to it or not, but I am just, I love it. I mean, it's just the kind of sweet intimacies of getting to know someone and yeah. how, yeah, I just think a lot of it is really well, well drawn and captivating. So what about you, Sarah? What are you reading? So if you follow me on Instagram, you know, I have been, I said that I've been reading so much heavy stuff and I mean, it really does take a toll. Like I know that's coming from a place of privilege being, you know, not having lived through these things, but like experiencing these stories, like even Chanel's story that we're going to talk about today. I mean, it takes an emotional toll. So after I finished Know My Name, I was like, I'm reading something that is going to to be just total kind of like mind candy. So what I chose is Kate Stamen London's One to Watch. And oh my gosh, I am loving, I mean, from the first page, I loved it. And this book is about a plus size fashion blogger who is, she has a blog called OMB because her name is B. And I just think that's so cute. And she is unlucky in love, but she's got this, I mean, she is super successful in her career. She has this huge support system in her family and friends. And she, I mean, she's just an awesome person, but she just is having some trouble with love. And she is a huge fan of this reality TV show called Main Squeeze. And so, you know, it, it seems very bacheloresque. And so, you know, I'm here for that. And it is just, it's just so good so far. I, I'm not super far in, but she and her best friend gather every week to watch Main Squeeze. And I don't know, I just love her. She's super cool. She, I mean, I'm envious of her fashion. She, and you know, it's like this kind of mixed media thing too. So you get like text messages and emails and I don't know. It's just in her blog post and I just really am enjoying it and it's moving really fast. So I'm super excited to see where it goes. And it just, it's kind of like right book, right time for me. So that is Kate Stamen London's one to watch. I can't wait to read that one. Yeah, I that sounds really good. remember seeing that on the pub day releases and I've seen a lot about it on Instagram. It looks great. Yeah. It's so, I really, really like it. All right, now we're going to get started with our discussion on Know My Name. Again, that is by Chanel Miller. It is a memoir, and I'm going to just re read a quick summary before we get started. In 2015, Chanel Miller attended a party with her sister and a friend where she was sexually assaulted by Brock Turner, then a student at Stanford University. This crime and the subsequent trial gained national notoriety, as did the shades of gray surrounding laws concerning rape and consent in the U.S., in this memoir, Chanel, in her own words, tells her story of her assault, the aftermath, and the ways in which she will continue to move forward. Okay, so let's start with overall impressions. Ashley, what was your overall impression of this book? Yeah, I felt like 
it was really I think Chanel Miller does a great job of just showing how she shows she helps the reader see how skewed our perception is in our country about what about rape and sexual assault cases. And I think she does that in a variety of ways, but the the real impact for me is it opens up this window into people who might feel that these cases aren't that big of a deal or that people should be coming forward or that it, it we could simply bring about change if we just if more people just said what happened to them i think it eliminates a lot of those attitudes and makes it very difficult for people to continue to perpetuate those ideas. And I think that's really important because Mm -hmm. if we can't convince people that it is not the victim's responsibility, that the victim can't just come forward and fix everything, that those things can open up a wider cultural shift that I think is really needed. So I feel like the thing that really resonated with me is how she's able to show that not only the incident itself, but all of the aftermath had a profound and lasting impact on her life, on the lives of her family members, and on the lives of her friends. And so I think that that part is what is really the most impactful for me. How about you, Jen? What were your overall impressions? I agree. I I think it's an important work. I think it's a powerful work because understandably, it can be really hard if someone is the victim for that person to speak out. And so I think it's amazing and brave that she was able to publish this book and to be so, so clear eyed and so thorough and explaining, like you said, Ashley, how it impacted her and her family and friends. It was just like their lives were put on pause for so long. It was like a second victimhood, the the way it worked in the criminal justice system. So I thought that was really powerful. I also think She did such a great job. It was almost like there's a checklist of like things people say about women who were raped and she was able to go down through and show why each of those is not a reason for a woman to be raped. And I think the Brock Turner incident gained such notoriety because of the way people talked about him. And I thought when she addressed that when she talked about everyone so focused on his lost potential and on what a good person he was. They brought his French teacher in to talk about what a good student she was. I I just thought all of that was really well done in showing that multiple things can be true about someone at the same time and that it's not just the rapist's lost potential that the media should be focusing on. I think she obviously has, her life has changed because of this incident. And so I think therefore she is able to just look back and just highlight so many things that are important for our society to consider. I, I just thought it was amazing. Oh, and the camp, the campus part, when she was talking about the way she was treated by the university where it happened, yeah. that was something I had not heard anything about before. And that was toward the end of the book, but I felt like that was just eye opening as well. So sorry, that was not entirely coherent, but yeah, I think, I think overall it is an important work and I'm so glad that she was able to be brave enough to write it. Yeah. I I think it's a real act of bravery. What about you, Sarah? I mean, I don't want to just read, I don't want to just say the things that you all said. Mm -hmm. So all of those things, I think to me, the impact of the duration of, the trial, like getting to trial. And I think she just did a really good job of showing how like Tiffany, her sister, how she was impacted. She's trying, she's trying to finish up her schooling and she, and it keeps the trial keeps getting pushed back and pushed back and she's trying to rearrange everything. And I mean, I just, I think that she did a really good job of showing the stress on all parties involved, not just the victim and the attacker, like just she, all the, all the little things that go into trying to, you know, get this justice and, 
Yeah, I just, I mean, it was so frustrating. And mm-hmm. just, I mean, and she basically had to put her life on hold. And I think she does a really good job of talking about the privileged way in which she was able to basically put her whole life on hold for years to get through this. And that people in like some victims have no, I mean, they, they're not, they cannot do that. And then what, what is there, you know, I don't know. I just think she does a good job of all of that. Just showing the effects, showing how her life basically stopped and, you know, and creating that frustration in the reader for, you know, trying to advocate for change in that process. So now we're going to just talk about what worked for us. I mean, I think we did, we might've covered some of that in our overall impressions, but is there anything that you'd like to add about what worked for what it's, I, I do want to preface both what worked for us and what didn't work for us with memoirs. It is real. That is the one time that this, our little discussion outline sometimes is challenging because memoirs are people's words right. and their life experience. And it's the story that they want to put out. So I will preface, I think that I speak for all three of us. And that maybe we can just talk about those things together and know that we, we respect the story. We were, and we are not commenting on whenever we do a memoir, anybody's right to tell their own story. I don't know if you all want to add anything to that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that part of what I was looking for a quote when you all were talking about, her ability to tell her own story. And I think that something that's really striking in this is this idea. I mean, I, this is, we have a section where we're going to share a quote and this is not the one I wanted to share for that, but I do want to share this because I think it's relevant to what both of you said, where she says, she's talking about Brock versus herself. And she says his talent precedes the tragedy. She was supposedly born in it. I did not come into existence when he harmed me. She found her voice. I had a voice. He stripped it, left me groping around blind for a bit, but I always had it. I just used it like I never had to use it before. I do not owe him my success, my becoming. He did not create me. The only credit Brock can take is for assaulting me, and he could not even admit to that. And I just wanted to share that in relationship to what you all said, because to me, that is the thing that works best in the book, is both that she gets, she highlights so well the whole process and how unbelievably brutal it is in addition to surviving sexual assault that she, the ongoing pain of that, but also this idea that the attitude that in some ways, because she spoke out, this somehow made her who she was. And I think that is a misrepresentation as well. So she had this strength inside herself. Yes. The, the experience is going to have an impact on her as a person, but it did not make her, he did not make her Mm -hmm. who she is. And I just really appreciated that too, her ability to show that when a woman is strong, it is not the assaulter who made her strong. And I think that Mm -hmm. that part in the book is really powerful as well. And that she provides that in a lot of ways and going back to what you all said about the shades of gray of all people and how, you know, throughout the trial process, her blacking out is scrutinized. The clothes she's wearing are scrutinized. All of those things are analyzed by everyone in the courtroom. And she talks about having to be the right kind of victim and how you're supposed to look this certain way. And so, I mean, I think all of that just really spoke to the cultural attitudes that are brought to the table when people discuss sexual assault. Yeah. Yeah. I think, Sarah, what you were saying about the memoir, I think is valid because in many ways, I think this memoir is a reclamation of her identity. And I think when she says, this is right at the beginning, however, I am not Brock Turner's victim. I am not his anything. I don't belong to him. I think she is reckoning with the fact that she has come to be known only through that lens Mm -hmm. and that she is so much more. And so that resistance to saying, well, because he's a great swimmer, he couldn't have done this thing. She's like doing the reverse of that because she is his victim, she is still all of these other things. So yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's an, it it is an act in and of itself that her publishing this, this this is why it makes it so hard to talk about all memoirs, but especially this one, the act of it being published and being out there is like her reclamation of her story. And I think that is amazing and powerful. And I think it started with her victim statement, but that was still under another name. 
And so I think being able to put this out there under her name, she says at the beginning, my name is Chanel, is just amazing. It really is. And yeah. I think the all I think the way that she ties in the naming of like the name and the importance of a name and identity throughout the whole book is really powerful and like what and how we place labels on things. I think that that yes. is all really powerful. And I will say that when I started the book, I started it reading it because I had the physical copy, but I switched to audiobook because a lot of people when, when I posted it on Instagram said that the audio was so amazing and that Chanel reads it. And I will say that I feel like that was a good choice for me because mm -hmm. hearing her say her words in her own voice is, is super powerful. And especially when she read the victim, her, the Emily Doe vi victim statement. And I mean, she, mm -hmm you know, she delivered it. And I thought that that was super powerful to hear that in her own words. So I think what worked for me, and it was a good choice for me to switch from the paper copy to the audiobook because it added a level of power to the words that I couldn't get as quickly off the page. So I think she does a really good job of describing a lot, a lot of really hard stuff. Mm -hmm. And she, I mean, and she does not make it easy. You know, she, she, she says all the things. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is important as well. Yeah. Yeah. When she talks about when she's testifying at her trial and it just became so obvious that a trial is a game someone can win. Yeah. And it was really frustrating. And I'm not naive about the law. I understand that. But when you see her realizing that Turner's defense attorney is asking her questions in a certain way and in a sort, certain order to be disorienting so that. She, and it's again, I've watched, you know, I've watched lots of movies about it. It's not shocking, but it's shocking in the way that she can feel it happening. And yet there's no control she can exert other than doing her best to share her experience and to tell her truth. But also then the way the people who hear it, the judge and the probation officer are able to twist that truth to fit the narrative that they want. Yeah. It was just so frustrating. And that, yeah, I, there are a lot of things that are frustrating about yeah. it, but that it was just really disheartening. I thought the part where Tiffany's, comment about I thought she was fine gets misconstrued yeah. just really demonstrate I mean, purposefully misconstrued demonstrated that because it's ridiculous outside of this like courtroom context is completely ridiculous to suggest that she said that as if to imply that she knowing her so well knew she was okay and therefore it, it was somehow a consensual act I mean it's completely absurd and yet they yeah. do that over and over again. And I think just like you said, Jen, I mean, it's so apparent that it's a game. There's no way on earth. I mean, what she meant was I feel guilt and sorrow that I could not read the situation better to stop this from happening to my sister. That's what she meant. Mm -hmm. And what yeah. they took instead was that she could then be in the right mind to make a consensual decision. And I think it's just that purposeful misrepresentation of what is being said that's ridiculous, but it's also the only ground that they had to stand on because of course mm -hmm. it is completely wrong. I mean, it's, it just, it's hard not to, like you said, Jen, it is just very frustrating for the reader, which I think Chanel does well because it demonstrates to us how painful and slow it, the whole situation is. Yeah, It's such a clear, he's so clearly in the wrong. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I'm going to read a quote. We don't do, we, we've been doing pretty well with not reading a quote, but I do think like when I read that victim, the in, victim impact statement, and she gets to address the judge and, and address mm -hmm. Brock and something that she wrote because of all the arguments that the defense attorney made when she, when she wrote this, I was like, I mean, it just seems so cut and dry to me, you know? And so what she wrote is, According to him, the only reason we were on the ground was because I fell down. Note, if a girl falls down, help her get back up. Mm -hmm. If she's too drunk to even walk and falls down, do not mount her, hump her, take off her underwear, and insert your hand in her vagina. If a girl falls down, help her up. 
If she's wearing a cardigan over her dress, don't take it off so that you can touch her breasts. Maybe she is cold. Maybe that's why she wore the cardigan. And I mean, I'm just like, it is just seems so simple. And I mean, not simple in terms of cut and dry and that he's clearly in the wrong. All all the arguments. And I'm like, I don't know. I was... (laughs) The victim impact statement for me Mm -hmm. was the most powerful thing in the book because she was, I mean, she basically was able to negate every single argument that both the judge and the defense attorney tried to argue in the trial itself. So I don't know. I just, it's just so frustrating. And as a woman and a mother of a daughter, it is terrifying to me what the narrative is that surrounds this. What was she wearing? How has she had other sexual partners? Who cares? I mean, yeah, it just, I think the, I think what the book did for me and like, what the thing that worked the most for me is to get me fired up about what kind of world my daughter is going to be going out into. And what do I need to advocate for to make it better? Because, you know, it just seems archaic what happened in that book. Yeah. And I have to say, as a mother of sons, there is so much to be angry about in the book. But one thing I appreciated is that it is a journey and she goes into the depths of despair. And it's not like the ending is this super happy ending, but she comes to appreciate like the the Swedes who stopped Brock Turner and who she says, the first thing they did was kneel down to make sure I was okay. And that's a different type of masculinity. And there are all of these people who, once they know her story, come to support her. So yes, there are ugly trolls online, but there are also people who her example is strength for them and gives them bravery. But yeah, I just kept thinking like, how do we talk to our sons to make sure that they go into the world like the Swedes and not like Brock Turner, that they are there. And if they see something wrong, they help someone and they kneel down to make sure they're okay they don't take advantage of someone because they feel like they can get away with it, which is clearly the way he was going around kissing all the girls at the party or trying to kiss them, forcing kisses on them at multiple parties. And so, yeah, it was just the pattern of his behavior was so disturbing. And yet that was not the pattern of his behavior that came to the forefront of the trial. It was, Oh, he swims really fast. Oh, he was great in French class. Oh, he was a really good boyfriend in high school. Anyway, sorry, I got off the topic of, I just think there are some really good people in the book as well. And so I think there were times that she couldn't see that because all that she could see were the people who were trying to tear her down. So I was glad by the end that she was able to recognize those people as well. Yeah. And I think it's also like going back to the naming and the power of her name and being associated with the acts. Because mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, I mean, her, that basically her sister says that to her about all that it took to shut them all down is knowing, is hearing your voice. And I think that's the thing is that anonymity may be for the protection of the victim, but it also makes it a lot easier for people to then blame the victim. So it's this right. perpetual situation of you do want to protect someone's privacy. And yet by doing that, you are silencing them, which makes it easier for people to judge them. And it goes back to the idea that like, we can't talk about assault in our country. I mean, there's so many things that we can't discuss in our country. And by not discussing them, we are making things worse for the victims. Mm -hmm. Okay. So here's our favorite part. We get to talk about a quote. (laughs) We did sneak in a few before this section, but we're each going to talk about a quote that really stood out to us. Ashley, do you want to go first? Sure. And I just want to say that I feel like, like we discussed that it is the power of the quotes within the book that really resonates. And so there are so many that I'd like to share because I think that that was the thing that had the most impact on me was these like isolated statements that really brought about a new way of considering the situation. But the one I wanted to choose is where she is just talking about sexual assault as opposed to other crimes. And she says, there's no such thing as a good stabbing or a bad stabbing, consensual murder or non-consensual murder. In this crime, pain could be disguised and confused as pleasure. I had been to the hospital, a place where people go when their bodies are sick or wounded. But I pulled my sleeves over my bruises, afraid that I would not receive the same comforts as an injured person. 
In rape cases, it's strange to me when people say, well, why didn't you fight him? If you woke up to a robber in your home, saw your saw him taking your stuff, people wouldn't ask, well, why didn't you fight him? Why didn't you tell him no? He's already violating an unspoken rule. Why would he suddenly decide to adhere to reason? What would give you reason to think he'd stop if you told him to? And in this case, with my being unconscious, why were there still so many questions? And that's on page 49. So like right early on in the book, I think she just really establishes that. But I also think that comparing it to other crimes shows the absurdity of the way that we treat victims in sexual assault. I mean, that is exactly it. It is ridiculous to continue to ask a victim why they did or didn't do, wear, drink, or any other part of why they didn't do something when it is the fault of the assaulter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just think it's such a powerful quote because, and like I said, I think she does this a lot of times because again, I just think it all has to do with these power dynamics and this continual idea that somehow it is incumbent upon the victim to keep the situation from happening. So, yeah. Jen, what's your quote? So mine is also from early in the book. And I, I had a really hard time choosing just one because I was highlighting stuff on almost every page, but this one starts, I didn't know that money could make the cell door swing open. I didn't know that if a woman was drunk when the violence occurred, she wouldn't be taken seriously. I didn't know that if he was drunk when the violence occurred, people would offer him sympathy. I didn't know that my loss of memory would become his opportunity. I didn't know that being a victim was synonymous with not being believed. Sitting in the driveway, I didn't know this little yes would reopen my body, would rub the cuts raw, would pry my legs open for the public. And that little yes, just to give it context, is when she agrees to testify to prosecute that she does want to press charges. But yeah, I just, the privilege in the book associated with Brock Turner and the double standards, I, I just found to be absolutely infuriating. And I was so angry with his family throughout the book and the way that they just treated her. They didn't even treat her, but they just acted as if she was not there, mm -hmm. as if there was just no one in the courtroom and it was all about their son. And for him, it was all about himself. And that the um, I didn't know that my loss of memory would become his opportunity the way they're able to use that and shape, reshape, manipulate his statement to suddenly have this clear eyed memory. And that she just says, yes, 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 yes. Over and over that that's all she says, because as she says, like, that's how anyone talks in real life. It, all of that is just laid out so clearly in the beginning. And then I feel like she takes the rest of the book just to address each of those issues mm -hmm. throughout. When I mean, I think she makes a really good point in the book about if if Brock would have been a person of color or if Brock would have been from a lower socioeconomic status, would the outcome have been the same? And I mean, she makes a very good argument that it would not I have agree. been the same. And I mean, the fact that he was able to pay for a high price defense lawyer and that they were able to pay an ex a blackout expert to come in and testify. I mean, at parts of the book, it gave me the same feeling I had when I, we read just mercy by Brian, mm -hmm. because you know, it's just this, I mean, it's just the, absurdity of the legal system protecting people who perpetuate this incorrect narrative and like mm -hmm. people from privilege who who are able to buy, like have rules don't that don't apply to them or people who don't come from privilege and having everything apply like the law applied to them it's just it is infuriating i'm getting yeah. I'm going to need a hang <laughs> in. Yeah, <laughs> so, recently, somebody shared an image of it was like outside of a coffee shop that said, we've now been in quarantine longer than Brock Turner was in prison. And mm -hmm. I was reading this as that as I saw that image. And it is absolutely striking to think about how little consequence there was when he was found guilty. So, you know, we didn't get into all that and we don't have to get into the details here, but you know, there's a moment of triumph when she's like, oh, he's guilty on all charges. And then it's three felonies, right. three mm -hmm. felonies. And then it amounts to virtually nothing. And it all goes back to privilege and money and power. And it is unbelievable. Yeah. Ugh. 
Absolutely. And when there's a point at which I thought, oh, this is the end of the story. And then she continues and she talks about what happens with the judge who gave him such a ridiculously low sentence and that he is voted out of office because these people are coming to defend her. But I thought that is, it was such an empowering moment for her to think that her story could result in this man losing power. And yet it doesn't do a thing to change what happened with Brock Turner right. himself. Right. Sarah, what about you? What was your quote? So my quote is toward the end of the book and it is really short, but wow, to me, it is so impactful. And what she says is my pain was never more valuable than his potential. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that was the whole thing. Like people were constantly talking about his future and talking about, Oh, what he was losing. And nobody ever like thought about how Chanel was, how was Chanel was feeling or what this was doing to Chanel's life. They were only talking about what was being taken away from Brock that never actually ha hadn't even occurred. And I just think, I mean, I think that is such a powerful, powerful quote. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I agree. Guys, I'm fired up. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> but okay, we're going to press on. <laughs> we are now going to talk about our pairings for this book. And Jen, do you want to start off with your pairing? Sure. So mine is, I, I will say this is pretty on the nose, but John Krakauer is an auto buy author for me. And she actually, Chanel Miller actually mentions him in her acknowledgments. And I think that is a testament to the power of this book that I'm recommending, which is Missoula Rape and the Justice System in a College Town. I read this shortly after it came out because again, autobi author, I had it on pre-order. And <laughs> so it's been a little while. So I was flipping through it this morning before we recorded. And I think what was coming back to me very quickly. So Krakauer approaches everything with lots of numbers and lots of data. And he is trying to show the prevalence of rapes in the United States and particularly in college towns, which definitely hit home because of Chanel's story. But he also, he has this, this balance of facts and trying to show that it is a problem. And Chanel Miller has that moment where she's realizing where her rape was announced, where that crime was announced, and that she just, she figured that there had been so many mentioned before she saw it that she had never noticed. And it's almost this hidden crime, again, that we don't talk about. So what Krakauer does is he looks at the stories of several women in Missoula who were raped. They're very different circumstances. The one that opens is this woman who was raped by the, the boy that she considers to have been her best friend since childhood. He got drunk. He raped her. And the police officer comes to her house and her dad doesn't know that it's happened. And the police officer is saying, we've arrested Bo is the guy's name. We've arrested Bo. And the dad has no idea it's happening. So there are all of these parallels to Chanel's story and thinking about when she told her parents and how she wanted to control that narrative. And yeah, anyway, so Krakauer through the book just explores the, the women's experience when they report it when they go to the police, the way the police respond, which in some cases is horrifying, the way that the different, that the college deals with it or doesn't deal with it. The fact that some, there's one man who is expelled and then there's a secret meeting and they let him back in. Like it's just, so he is just looking at it and trying to examine this microcosm of what happens across the country. So if you want a look at sort of a, a broader look at the horrifying way that we deal with rape in the country. I think it's not an easy read again. I don't think anything about this topic is, but I think it's another important read to think about the the plight of these victims. So that again is John Krakauer's Missoula Rape and the Justice System in a College Town. I've, I wouldn't, I've been wanting to read that for a long time. And now that I've read Chanel's book, I would really like to read that. Yeah. Well, you are welcome to borrow it. I haven't. <laughs> Yay. I, <know. laughs> I always like to hear that. It's so weird though to, yeah. Anyway. It's, yeah. It's important to read books like this, even when they are really painful. So yes. 
Ashley, what is your pairing? I wanted to share Laurie Hulse Anderson's Shout, which we have all read and discussed when we did an episode about her. And uh, we'll link to that in the show notes. We saw her and Jason Reynolds speak in Charlottesville at the Festival of the Book. And they talked a lot about consent and about hard topics and working through them with kids and with teens. And so that, I think, really enriched my reading of this. But this is her memoir. It is written in verse, which is different than her other works. But she wrote this one in 2019. And when she wrote it, a lot of it was because she wrote Speak. So Speak was an iconic text that came out 20, 21 years ago now. And and that book, Speak, opened the door in a lot of ways to discussion with, it was a young adult book that included an in, a sexual assault incident in it. And it was the main character didn't tell anyone. And then it's her coming to find her voice and tell her story. And so in a lot of ways, that book opened up a conversation with teens about consent, about speaking up, about sexual assault happening. And yet Laurie Halls Anderson and Shout is commenting on how here we are all this time later and so little has changed in that conversation. And so it's it's really powerful. It is raw. It's beautifully written. And I just think that it is a really impactful book and that it shows how she is such a heroic person. I mean, I just really admire her as a person. I admire her as a writer and I admire her ability to take on hard topics. And yet you still can see how hard it was for her to tell her own experience. And I think that is really powerful because again, I think in this whole idea of all the things that we criticize victims for, that a big criticism is that more people should speak up. And so a lot of the Me Too movement is about this ability to come forward and to speak to the fact that, yes, as a woman, I've had these experiences. And so I think she does that, but I also appreciated how it showed how hard it is for her. Because again, for anyone who has followed her, she is very outspoken. She's very courageous and she certainly knows herself and knows how to advocate. And yet you can Mm -hmm. see in that book how hard it was, how hard that journey has been for her to get there and how she is continuing to work through that as a person. And so I think all that is really powerful and also is really comforting to people who are trying to find a way to speak for themselves in a more effective way. So again, that's Laurie Hall Sanderson's shout. And I, I, this is not a pairing, but I just wanted to mention with everything that you said about Missoula, Jen, that Kiese Layman's heavy that I talked about mm-hmm. not long ago in our nonfiction episode, I wanted to mention because there is an incident with a, when he is a college professor, there's an incident with a very privileged white boy on the campus who has cocaine. And it is a whole situation where the, the campus handles it instead of the police and essentially the kid says that he was pressured by a dark-skinned man in a club to take the cocaine. And so he's completely, he completely gets off with having done nothing when it's clear that he is a dealer on the campus and that he has this whole network. And I just wanted to mention that, that I think that while it is different for sure from what we're talking about as far as sexual assault, it does address a lot about campus life and how those dynamics work in our country. And so I just wanted to mention that I think that is another situation that just portrays how people can be protected from having anything incriminating happen to them by a campus. So that's an aside, but I did want to mention that that, that, that reminded me so much, Jen, when you were seeing some of those mm-hmm. incidents. So Sarah, what about you? What's your pick? So along those same lines, Ashley, mine is my pairing is not a book about sexual assault. So my pick is Jason Reynolds and Brendan Kiley's All American Boys. The, the reason that I think this makes a good pairing for Know My Name is that Rashad, the main, one of the main characters in the book. So this book is about Rashad and Quinn, and it is told in alternating perspectives. Oh, I think I, I just talked about this book when when we interviewed Farrah Roshan. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was your bookish check-in. Yes. So I'm like, this is seeming familiar. But anyway, this book is about Quinn and Rashad. It's told in alternate, alternating perspectives. And basically, Rashad is at a corner store. He is buying something or he is looking for chips and he is tripped. He falls down. And then all, and basically what transpires is this horrible act of police brutality. Rashad is black and Quinn who is white is happens to be there and witnesses it. And it's just about that both of their journeys through this horrible act of violence So what I, what really made me think of All American Boys when I was reading Chanel's story is the fact that when this, when Rashad is attacked, the question, some, even his father questions, what were you wearing? Were your pants sagging? You know, what were you, how were you acting and all, all of this stuff. And again, like when I was reading Chanel's story, I mean, she was asked, how drunk were you? Have How many sexual partners have you had? What were you wearing? And I'm like, none of that matters. In both of these cases, there, these horrendous crimes, these the, this horrendous violence has happened. And it, it does not matter what anybody's wearing. It does not matter how they were acting. It no, that, I mean, that is irrelevant. And so I guess, and it gave me that same feeling when I was reading Rashad's story and in, in All American Boys, when I as when I read Chanel's uh, account of uh, all those questions about what she was wearing and all of that. So I think that while they are different stories, I think that violence against women in this country, so assault and the violence against people of color and black people in particular, I think there are some similarities in the way that those stories go. And I think it is terrible. I think it is infuriating. And I feel I, I get those same feelings having read Chanel Miller's book and reading All American Boys. So that's why my pairing is All American Boys. And that is by, again, Jason Reynolds and Brendan Kiley. That's a great pairing. Yeah, I think that connection is. Yeah, it's an undoubtable connection. I think it's one we have to think about. And it kind of goes to what I said about Just Mercy, too. Yeah. I mean, Brian, by Brian Stevenson. It, it's all of those things that it just seems like there is no... I mean, it just seems nonsensical, I guess, mm-hmm. that, that these things are continuing to happen and the same results are continuing to happen when it is very clear that it should be going a different right. way. Right, so, and that if it can't go a different way, then the system has to change. Yeah, if right. it's continuing yes. to happen when it's so clear to everyone, then the system itself has got to change and the culture has to change right. around it. So, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. So I don't know that there's a great way to transition <laughs> from that, that that topic to our give me one. But that's that's the way our episodes go. So I think that was a, a good discussion. And I think that uh, that no, my name is definitely uh, is well worth a read and because it definitely shines light on some really some things that we have to work on as a country. So our give me one topic today is an instrument you wish you could play or that if you could play an instrument, which would you choose? Ashley, do you want to start us off? Sure. So I, I don't know. We haven't talked much about music on here. So I, I played a lot of things growing up and was very involved in music and so one that I would choose is cello and really any of the string instruments. So I predominantly played flute and piano, but I also played a little bit of brass and have a little bit of experience in other things, but I do not, not you know, not violin or cello. I don't know anything about those. And so I would be very interested to learn that. Hmm. Jen, how about you? Yeah. So the only thing I play is the flute <laughs> and... And she play living on a prayer. That's right. (laughs) Yes. And I love that experience. And I love being part of the band. I will say it's not much of a solo instrument and it's not very cool. (laughs) So I think if my, my pick would be guitar, because I just feel like it's something you can work on on your own. 
it's it's really cool playing living on a prayer on guitar would be much cooler than playing it on your flute <laughs> i mean right <laughs> and not that i've ever been cool nor do i have any hope to be cool but i just I, yeah i love guitar i love the way it sounds and i love the the songs that you can play on a guitar without it being a little a little bit of a mismatch well so, friend if you ever want to pursue that we have a wide range of instruments in our house and i'm sure yeah. we have a guitar you could borrow so <laughs> <laughs> what about you sarah what's your choice well unlike both of you i have no musical ability whatsoever i did for a short time when i was before i even was in my teens probably like when i was nine or ten i thought i wanted to play the guitar so I took guitar lessons for a season. I could never read the sheet music. So I would have to go through and write all the chords down on my, so I would know if like it was an A or a B or whatever. Also, I did not like the practicing part. I wanted to like, I wanted an electric guitar and I wanted to play like Eddie Van Halen immediately. And so playing like the old gray mayor sheet, what she used to be was not, in my in my goals for that so <laughs> that fell by the wayside and then when i got to middle school i was like oh i think i'll play the sax in the band so i did get that and then that did not go well either because again i could not read the sheet music and so i just pretended to play every class and also in our recital oh, wow. so i never blew in the horn i just pressed the buttons <laughs> i have to tell you i'm a little sorry mr connor my band right teacher <laughs> you're what I if they didn't teach you to read sheet music huh reading sheet music should have come first that's uh, what you are and fine. i'm a little scandalized so. also anyway <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't last very long. I went to one the one I did one recital and then I then I quit and joined chorus, which again, no singing ability. So so that is my musical saga. However, if I had could be musical and play an instrument, it would definitely be the guitar or the piano. I like that whole singer-songwriter vibe and I think that those are the instruments that really play well into those. So if I could, that would be but I don't think that will ever happen because no musical ability whatsoever. <laughs> all right. So I think that we will end there with all my musical confessions and the scandalized Ashley. <laughs> we want to thank you. <laughs> we want to thank you for listening today. And we are really interested in what you think about Know My Name by Chanel Miller. Please make sure that you check out our Instagram posts, Facebook posts, all the posts that we have that we are totally willing to discuss with you and know what you get to know what you think about this book. Thanks for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Underbridge Pod or on the web at underbridgepod.com for a list of ways to support us. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light, and Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged. 